Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Father, as we come before you as we dive into your living word today, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, that no matter all the work and, and prep and, and stuff um, that it takes to write a sermon, it doesn't matter, Lord, if you don't show up. So I pray that I preach this morning with your truth. I pray to be your words that resonate with our souls, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you move in the only way that you can move, speak in the only way that you can speak. Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. In your son Jesus' name, amen. It has been a long night for her. She has feared that tomorrow would come. She has prayed over and over and over again to her God that the situation in her nation would change, but nothing's happened. There is still a drought. There's still a famine. There's still animals dying. There's no crops growing. People are dying. Nothing has changed in her circumstance. And tonight, this single mom, a widow, will hold her young boy crying. And every time, she will look into the jar of flour, hoping that there will be more in there, just enough about a handful She'll look into her jar of oil, realize just enough to make one loaf of bread. This mother will cry, knowing that what comes tomorrow is starvation and death, for not just for her, but for her son. In the midst of the tears, she will start to play back what has happened in their nation over the last few weeks and months. Oh, she's heard the story. It spread throughout the nation like gossip in a high school hallway. The guy who showed up on the scene out of nowhere, walked into the king's court, told the king, listen, it won't rain again until I pray for rain. She's heard the name, Elijah, the one whose name means Yahweh is my God. She's heard the story. It's Elijah's fault that there's a drought. Oh, and she's heard the conspiracy theorists that say it's not Elijah's fault, that it's actually King Ahab's fault. That Elijah walked into the court of King Ahab, and, and, and uh, King Ahab was the king of the northern, uh, uh, the divided monarchy had two, so Israel in the north, Judah in the south, he was part of the northern kingdom. So he was the king in the northern kingdom. And, and it was King Ahab's fault because King Ahab married the princess from this lady's hometown, Jezebel. Not only did he marry Jezebel, but then he told Jezebel that you can keep worshiping your God, Baal. You can keep worshiping your God. Not only can you continue to worship your God, your people continue to worship your God. Our people can worship your God. Actually, I'm going to build a temple to your God. She's heard the stories. She doesn't know this God of this man named Elijah. All she knows is she's got enough to make one loaf of bread for her and her son and then they'll die. We will watch as mother cries. Son will wake up in the morning and do what most children do. Say, good morning, mommy. I'm hungry. 
Mom will begin to tell her son, hey, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to get some sticks for a fire, and then I'll come back in and make breakfast. You just stay here. What she doesn't tell her son is, um, this is our last meal. I've got nothing after this. I mean, how do you tell that to your child? That, hey, we're going to make breakfast, one loaf of bread. And then we're going to hold each other and die. Mom will walk out the door and she will begin to gather sticks. And then the question will pop into her mind, where is Elijah? If this is all Elijah's fault, if Elijah said that it won't rain again until he prays for rain to come, well, there's famine in all the land. There's starvation in all the land. Elijah's got to be hungry too. Elijah's got to be thirsty too. How come Elijah, like Elijah, just say your prayer so it'll rain. Where's Elijah? What this woman doesn't know is after Elijah walked into King Ahab's court, he left the gates and he went east. We'll find him in a, in a ravine hiding east of the Jordan. In this ravine, there's a brook that he's allowed to drink, that, that he can drink water from. Not only is there a brook, but God has now commanded ravens to bring him meat and bread in the morning and in the evening. So Elijah has water and food. So while everybody else is struggling with the famine, the guy whose name means Yahweh is my God, God has taken care of him and he's getting fed. She doesn't know. All she knows is, where's Elijah? And we will watch as she picks up the last of the sticks and she will look at the city gates and her eyes will make contact with his, Elijah. And the lens of scripture has taken us into their encounter. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This is the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Stop there. God sends Elijah to Zarephath. That's in what we would know as modern day Lebanon. This is a place that was a hot and dry land. So really dependent on the rain to provide crops. Not only that, this is the homeland of Jezebel. So God sends Elijah to, you know, in America, we got the Bible Belt. He sends Elijah to the Baal Belt. Like, okay, you guys want to worship this God, Baal. You want Elijah, go there. I am going to show them who is God by sending you to the belt of where they have their beliefs. Baal worship during this time comes from Phoenicia, and the Phoenician records tell us that the God Baal was believed to be their storm God. So the God that was being worshiped in the land, the God that was supposed to be God, is also the God that's supposed to provide rain, crop enriching rain. So when there's a drought, the people either believe that their God had died and they have to pray for him to resurrect so that there would be rain, or your God's not real. So God sends Elijah straight to the heart of the worship of this false God. Elijah praying for drought proves that Yahweh, not Baal, is the one true God, including crop enriching rain, not Baal. This actually goes back to Deuteronomy 11. So Elijah praying for this and saying this is going to happen. Actually goes back to Deuteronomy 11, verse 16 and 17. It says, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. 
Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Israel's unfaithfulness to God's covenant by bowing down to worship other gods is now causing his judgment to fall on their heads, or in this case, it has allowed, them, uh, allowed God to stop his blessing of rain from falling on their land. So when Elijah said this was going to happen in 1 Kings, all the nation of Israel, Israel would have went back to Deuteronomy 11. Hold on, there's a warning that if we actually worship other gods in our land, that God has given us his promised land, that if we start to worship other gods and we start to bow to other idols, God will do something about it. This isn't just out of the blue nowhere. Even though Elijah does just walk up on the scene out of nowhere. First Kings 17 verse 10 says, so he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little, little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. This woman is on the verge of starvation for her and her son. There's a drought in all the land. She's a widow, so she doesn't have a husband that can go out and earn a living to make some more or, or, or that he can go gather some more. It, she, it, it's just her and her son. And she tells Elijah, listen, I've got enough to make one last meal for me and my boy, and then we're surely going to die. And Elijah's response is, I want some of your last meal. <laughs> like, think about it. Think, 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 think about like, okay, you knew you were going to die, right? Like, not like some tragic death, like you knew, oh, this is my time, and it's going to be all peaceful and great, right? But you got to pick your last meal, and you can eat whatever you want. What if I came up and said, let me get a bite? There's no way. Like, if, if I have my last meal, I get to pick my last meal, and anybody in the world, including my family, comes up and taps me on the shoulder and says, can I get some first? I might punch you. <laughs> like, no. There's no way. And that's Elijah's response. I know it's your last one, and then you're going to die, but let me get a, bake me some first. See, what Elijah was really asking this woman was to sacrifice something out of generosity for him. You see, an attitude of sacrifice is at the heart of generosity. Elijah challenged this widow, act on faith and feed him first. John Wimber said, uh, has this famous quote that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Risk is just a, another word for sacrifice. The principle is that it's going to cost us something. The woman knew that the Lord was his God, and Elijah was declaring that the Lord God of Israel would supply her needs if she trusted him. Elijah asked this woman in the most desperate moment of her life to sacrifice her and her son's last meal and be generous to him. Make me bread first. And by doing so would mean that's less bread for her and her son, which means death would surely come sooner for her and her son. It's a major sacrifice for this woman. It's not just a sacrifice for her own well-being, but she's a mother. It's a sacrifice of her son's well-being. 
We see at the heart of her generosity is sacrifice. And she now has to decide to sacrifice her last meal, her son's last meal, and to be generous to Elijah. And what we see is that generosity is rarely about what we have, but really about what we're willing to let go of, what I'm willing to sacrifice. Actually, if the only time that we're generous is in a season of abundance or when we have extra or excess of something, my bet is or it's not really generosity. I just have extra. If my Christian experience is never really risky, never really a sacrifice, then my faith really isn't stretched. See, true generosity includes a sacrifice for me. If it doesn't cost me anything, then is it really generous? I think sometimes we want to see the word of God being done in our life, and we pray for that. God, be moving in my life. Do these things in my life. But we usually don't want to do what comes with that, meaning I have to give something up that we need to be willing to let go of the things that we think are absolutely necessary for our existence, that we have to sacrifice those things. And understand, generosity includes a wide range of things. If you're like me and you heard me start talking about generosity, you thought I was talking about your money. Generosity includes a wide range of things. Like, I'm just gonna be honest. It has never been a difficult thing for my wife and I to be generous with finances or resources that we have. We've never had that struggle. Since from the moment that we were dating, to engagement, to marry, throughout our marriage, we've never had a difficult conversation about, should we give financially more? I remember when we were going um, through our Elevate campaign, and, and this was when we were still meeting at the high school, and, and we were getting ready to build the kids' building next door. We were like, woohoo. I remember um, we had this big give night. It was like, well, this is where we were going to make our, our commitment. Right, my wife and I had already agreed how much we were going to give, how much we were going to give to this and all that. And we were sitting right about where you two are sitting in the theater at Demonte Ranch High School. And Pastor Dave is up there talking. And my wife looks over at me and goes, I think we should give more. Of course you do. <laughs> Pastor Dave has just said that they're willing to give their house up for it. I mean, of course you feel guilty. But she looks at me and goes, how much do you think we should give? And I was like, man, I thought we had already agreed to an amount. I told her, why don't you write down a number and I'll just kind of write down something and we'll see if we're in the same ballpark. Looked over, we're both kind of the same. Hers was higher, we went with hers. We've never had that struggle. We've never struggled with the, I mean, last, last Sunday, Compassion Sunday, I get home, we already sponsor a child. I get home and my wife's like, man, don't you think it'd be cool that when our kids turn five, they pick a kid that they sponsor and they start to write the letters back and forth with that kid. I'm like, yeah, our daughter's five, so now we're doing this now. She said, yeah, I think we should. Okay. It's never been a struggle. But here's where generosity and sacrifice is a struggle for me. It's with my time. I really struggle to sacrifice my time for other people. When, I am, uh, when I'm really busy, whether it's school or ministry or just stuff at home, when I'm just busy, I'm stressed out, I struggle to be engaged with people, including my own family, both mentally and emotionally. And when I feel like I don't have enough time to make time, to sacrifice time for other people, I won't respond to text messages, phone calls, emails. I don't care what you send me. I just, in my mind, I think if I just disengage from all of these things, that somehow it'll all go away and it'll get better. It's not true, not the reality, 
but I struggle to sacrifice my time for people. And I have realized over the last 12 to 18 months, one, how selfish of a life that is, but two, that that's the area that I struggle with when it comes to generosity. See, generosity ain't nothing but, it isn't just money and finances. It's be our time, our resources, our talents, our gifts, whatever it is, there's such a wide range. And my question for you is, what's the area of your life that you are not willing to sacrifice? That's untouchable, that you're not sacrificing, that, that, that hinders your generosity to other people. See, this woman had to decide, am I gonna sacrifice my last meal and take care of Elijah? Verse 14 says, for this is what the world, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So Elijah challenged this widow, act on faith, feed him first. The widow says in verse 12, she knows that Elijah is the man of the, uh, from God. And there's this moment that she has to make this decision. Do I feed Elijah first? Remember the God in her country, Baal had failed her. The God that was supposed to bring rain and storm and all this stuff had failed her. And now she has to decide, is it, do I sacrifice my son's last meal, my last meal, and I take care of him? And even in the face of certain death, we see her act on faith, trusting in the word of the living God. Here's the thing, an attitude of faith awards us God-given opportunity. We see her faith, this Gentile woman, not an Israelite, a Gentile woman, her faith in trusting that, okay, fine, I'm gonna try out your God and I'm gonna try to do what you say because my God sucks and ain't showing up. I'm gonna trust your God it doesn't only offer her the opportunity to feed Elijah, but it's an opportunity for this woman to see God's promise lived out in her life. See, God is giving this woman an opportunity to save her life, her son's life, and Elijah's life. But recognize, it's a God-given opportunity. God did not need her. He was giving her an opportunity to partner with him in what he was already doing. God was already taking care of Elijah. Go read just a couple verses before. Homeboy is in a ravine, hiding out, drinking water from a brook, and birds are bringing him meat and bread every morning and every evening. God is taking care of him. And it, okay, yeah, it says the brook dried up. Read the Old Testament. God makes water come out of rocks. God could have told Elijah, listen, I'm going to keep bringing the birds, and if you get thirsty, just open up your mouth, look to the sky, and all that water just drip down in your mouth. It'll stay a drought everywhere else, but just do this, Elijah, and water will fill your mouth. Like, God could have done anything. He didn't need this woman. He gave her an opportunity to partner with God in what he was already doing. He gave this widow the privilege of partnering with God, and it was a privilege, not an obligation. You see, our generosity, it's not really about us. It's more about what God is doing and the privilege we have to be part of it. God, throughout the scriptures, is giving human beings opportunity to be a part of what he is already doing. Go read Exodus 3, 
In verse 7, God says this to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Yes, God sends Moses, but recognize that God doesn't ask Moses for help. God says, I have come down to rescue my people. I am already doing this. Moses, you want to be a part of it. There's an opportunity. And all the privilege it becomes, go read the rest of Exodus, man. Moses gets to be part of some amazing miracles, some crazy things that are happening, all because the God-given opportunity in Exodus 3, verse 7, where God says, I am going to deliver my people. I'm going to give you the opportunity to be a part of it, Moses. See, our faith or trust in God awards us opportunities to live out our generosity. It's not based on our circumstances. The truth is God-given opportunities are usually at inconvenient times. There are many reasons for us to say no to an opportunity. If you're married with children, between your schedule, your wife's schedule, your kid's schedule, and even if you got little kids and it's their sleeping schedule, whatever, between all of that, there's a lot of reasons for you to say no. If you're a college, young adult, uh, a young adult person, right? I don't know why I was stumbling with that one, um, right? But you have work, maybe you have work and school, um, you're trying to plan for a future for maybe a day that you will be married and you will have kids. You don't, you, you're afraid to make a commitment right now because there's a reality that you may have to move for your job or for school. And so now there's not a reason, it, 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 there, there's a possibility that you may have to back out of your commitment. Or if you're um, a, a single adult past the age of college, maybe you're a widow. And so now you live on a single income. Uh, you feel like you don't have the resources to be generous. You don't have the time because you're having to work a lot and take care of yourself or maybe other people. Or maybe you have to take care of your parents. Your, your parents now live with you. And there's a lot of reasons that we can come up with of why I can't be generous. But it's not really about my circumstances. It's really about what I'm willing to let go of. There are endless examples throughout Scripture that these God-given opportunities came at inconvenient times. This widow, this had to be the most inconvenient time of her life for Elijah to show up. Hey, I'm going to need some of your last bread. Her last meal, her son's last meal with death knocking on the door. Really hard to be generous in a moment like that. But this widow's faith is shown in her obedience. She feeds Elijah, and the result is a God-given opportunity to partner with God. And what a privilege it must have been for that mother to now be able to provide for her son. It's a privilege to partner with God. Understand, God does not need us to accomplish his work. God could resource the expansion of his kingdom a million different ways, God can meet the needs of this church right here a million different ways. He doesn't need us. He chooses to use us. It is not an obligation out of us to God. It's actually an opportunity and a privilege when we get to be the hands and feet of God. That, that group that we prayed for, who was going to Costa Rica on a mission trip, God could reach those people without the people leaving Life Church to go on a mission trip. He doesn't need us. He delights in using us and he gives us opportunity. And it is a privilege that we get to go and be the hands and feet of Christ. 
in, a, in the midst of a dark world. It is not an obligation. It is a privilege to partner with God. See, I've said it before. One of my favorite things about being a pastor at Life Church is that I get a front row seat to watch God move in and through your life. I get to just watch God do things like the students in second service. Like when I watch you guys worship, it is awesome. If you're sitting in the back, you probably miss what's happening in the front. But watching you is a privilege. Watching our young people, the, we have a group of our college young adult ministry that kind of sits over here on uh, second service on Sundays. Watching them live out their faith intentionally where on one Thursday night, I met a young man. I was like, hey, how you doing? Never met you. How'd you hear about this group? His response was, I was at the laundromat today, ran into this guy. He told me about this group and I showed up. I'm like, dang, I don't do that at the grocery store or anywhere else, but laundromat, you're getting invited. Or uh, baptism. I love baptisms, but one of my favorite things of baptism is when it's a young person, well, elementary, junior high, high school, and you get to watch their parents, and you get a dad that's like not really emotional, then you look over there and dad's bawling his eyes out. I love the reaction of parents during baptism. You got, the video talked about, we have baptisms happening next Sunday. This is an opportunity for you if you've given your life to Christ and you have not been baptized to go public with your faith. Say, I mean, I'm a believer in Jesus. You can sign up online at lifechurchreno.com. You can, uh, if you have a young person, a young, if you have a child in elementary school range that would like to get baptized, there's the baptism class immediately following this service. Go over there. You don't, even if you didn't sign up, you can still go. Your child can still attend. There's free lunch there for you. But listen, it is a privilege as a church, as part of the body of Christ, to celebrate your decision to follow Jesus. It is a privilege of ours that we get to celebrate that with you. So this widow sacrificed, gave Elijah some of her last meal, stepped into this God-given opportunity. Now God is providing for her, her son, and Elijah. You would think everything should be going pretty well in her life. Verse 17, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with, but causing her son to die? Then, then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are man of God, that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So this woman's son becomes sick and dies. And she thinks that it's some hidden sin in her life, that that's why her son has died. And she even asks Elijah, and even Elijah's prayer seems like Elijah's a little confused. Like, God, did you save this boy from starvation just so he would die from disease? And there's a little weird moment here that when Elijah takes the kid up to the upper room, he prays for the kid, but it says that he laid himself out on top of the kid three times. I have no idea what the point of that was. 
It seems a little weird. I don't know anybody that I've prayed for that they want to like lay on top of me. Seems strange. I don't know. There's a lot of different things out there in commentaries. This is the way Elijah prayed. All I know is about that God heard Elijah's prayer, brought him back to life. And what we see is that an attitude of generosity puts me in proximity to what God is doing around me. And inevitably, his activity in my life is increased for my good. Let me make this very, very clear. I am not preaching a prosperity gospel. I am not saying that if you are generous and if you sacrifice and are generous with your time or your resources or your finances or whatever, that God will bless you, that his goodness in your life will be a blessing or prosperity in the way that we think of it. God's best for us is not some kind of financial or material prosperity the way that we think of it in our American culture. His best for us is Christ. It is the righteousness of Jesus gracefully given to us through faith. It is eternity with God in perfect relationship, the way God intended for us to be in perfect relationship with creation and creator before the fall that happened in Genesis 3. But what I am saying is that an attitude of generosity does put me in proximity to what God is doing and there is an increased good in my life. You see, this widow now, because she, was, she sacrificed her last meal, now, and then uh, because she stepped into this God-given opportunity, she was now put in proximity to what God was doing. Elijah is now living in this woman's house. The man of God, the prophet of God, is now living in her house. And she was now in proximity to what God was already doing because God was already using Elijah. He was using Elijah to prove to King Ahab, to Jezebel, to the entire nation that Baal is not the one true living God, that I am the one true living God. And I am going to prove that by attacking this storm God. And now I'm going to cause a drought. So he was already using Elijah. And then we see that in this moment, he uses Elijah to demonstrate that he is the God that gives life that he has the power to restore life, that he is the God who constantly watches over his people and that he's a God who has compassion over all people, including a Gentile woman and her son. See, our generosity can put us in proximity to what God is doing and allow us to be light in the midst of a dark world. Last week, Compassion Sunday, because of your generosity, understand, there's a lot of people at Life Church that already before last Sunday were supporting uh, kids through uh, projects like Compassion. But last Sunday alone, because of the generosity of the people here at Life Church, there were 180 more children that were supported. <laughs> There's a specific family here at the church, and um, my wife was talking to them last Sunday. Husband and wife, four kids, and they have supported a number of compassion children. Their support has put them in proximity to what God is already doing. There's one specific young man. His name is Paul from Uganda. They uh, supported him. Paul graduated out of compassion, and uh, they've kept in contact. Paul is now in medical school. 
Paul calls them as if Paul is their own biological child. And he does, if you're a parent that has had college-age kids, you know these phone calls, I need more money. (laughs) He calls them and he says, hey, I need a computer for school. I need books, I need lab fees, I need instruments for my labs. And they're continuing to support his medical studies. You see, their generosity has put them in proximity to what God was already doing in Paul's life and continues to do in his life. And they get, to be a, they get the privilege to be a part of his life and what God is doing in and through him. Even when I called them to ask, I called the, the dad. I said, hey, would you mind if I told the people um, and told the church about the, this, this story, about how you guys are still supporting this young man? And uh, how God has just kind of used it to put you in proximity to what God was already doing. He said, yeah, of course, you can tell our name. You don't have to say our name. I don't care. It's not really about, um, what, about us. It's about what God is doing. And that we get a chance to be a part of what God is doing. I said, cool, so I'm not going to tell anybody your name. <laughs> but here's the thing is, they have now been placed in proximity to what God is doing. Because they sacrificed, even though they already had their own kids, because they sacrificed the extra money to support this young man, they were given the opportunity to continue to partner with God in a major way in what God is doing in this young man Paul's life. Church, our attitude towards generosity will define the way we live. If I take a position that I don't want to sacrifice something, then I will not be a person of generosity. If I take the position of safety or comfort, then my faith is rarely stretched and my Christian experience is never risky. And if these are my attitudes towards generosity, then I am missing out on what God wants to do in my life and missing out on what God is doing around me. Sure, I can be part of the church. I can be part of the church and I can come on Sunday or watch online and I can hear about all the things God is doing through the church. But if I am not personally part of the life-giving change that God is doing in and through the church. I am hovering around the things of God without being part of the things of God. But if I change my attitude to see that generosity will cost me something, then I begin to live a life of generosity that we find at the cross. If I learn to look at my faith like a muscle that needs to be stretched and worked out in order to grow, then I begin to see God-given opportunities as a privilege to partner with God, not an inconvenience. And you see, if I change my attitude towards generosity, then I stop being around the things of God as a casual viewer, and I begin to be an active participant in God's plan of redemption. There's something special about participating in life as a gift, not hoarding it, not clinging on to it, but cherishing it and participating in it. It is sharing it with the kind of reckless abandon that is the real deal, because that's like God. The life we have in Jesus gives us the invitation to participate in God's generosity, to collaborate with God. See, my prayer is not that we represent Christ in all that we do. My prayer is that, church, we would represent God in all that we do and all that we are. 
that we would be a church that have an attitude of generosity that says we see it as a privilege to sacrifice everything for God-given opportunity so that we could be in proximity to what God is doing around us in our city, in our country, and in our world. There is no doubt that you can look at our city, our country, our world, and know that our world needs more of Jesus. The question is, what are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to let go of so that we have the opportunity to be in proximity to what God is already doing? I think our first step may be that we just need to change our attitude towards generosity. Let's pray. Father, I pray that each one of us as we leave today, that we would look internally at the specific area in our own life that is uh, the struggle, the area that we don't want to sacrifice in being generous. Like for me, it's my time. Lord, I give that to you. I want to repent of that, Father. You know that's a struggle for me. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that when we go out in our city, we would hear non-believers say, I am thankful that Life Church is here, that because the generosity of Life Church, because the people of Life Church, our city is better. Lord, I pray that because you have placed us here in this time, or that we have the opportunity, the privilege to be your hands and feet. Lord, I pray that the way that we live our life, our attitude of generosity would point people to you, that we would see more souls, one for your kingdom. It's in your son Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.